Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from three different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers Millisonda for the Accidental Aliens. And I am Keith Foster. I am the writer of Kadoja and Three Protectors and a managing partner at Invader Comics. And I'm Barry Hodges. I'm the creator, writer, and artist behind the indie comic D vs. M. And it is now December 26th for you guys out there in podcast land or after, depending when you listen to this in the week. We hope you guys had a great Christmas or holiday or Hanukkah or whatever, whatever y'all doing out there, uh, having fun, getting presents or just enjoying time with your friends and family. Uh, hope it's been great for you. It's been great for me. How's it been for you guys? It's been great. Just just great. A lot Fantastic. Of, yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm buzzed, by the way. I'm just getting it right out there. We're just out there. Just for the people at home, we've, we've just recorded we've... <laughs> the holiday episode just like minutes ago. Minutes yeah. ago. This, this, we just this... had significant beers. Like, and I mean significant not only in ABV, but significant in uh ounces. Like these were yeah. these were these were heavyweight beers. Yeah. And now we're back in the breach, folks. We're and back. I've got another beer lined up, and I don't know what the hell I'm doing. What is this? What is this? College? If, if I could, if I could summarize the last week, that it would be a very quick summary. It was a week full of walking my dog, feeling buzzed, and getting another beer. That's the entirety of the week. That's how the week went. <laughs> Mine was about the same. I didn't it was, walk it was a almost, dog. Yeah, yeah. I wolfed handfuls of cereal, dry cereal, into my mouth. So okay. that that was my equivalent of walking the dog. Just just uh, what, what kind of cereal? Cheerio. Oh, it was real exciting because I'm 47. It was Kashi. It was a high oh. fiber, high protein cereal. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. I like I like Crispix as a good go to to just shove some handfuls of cereal. There you go. All right. So any illusion that there is time passed from the last episode to this episode has been shattered. Um, <laughs> and any kind of guesswork that you might have had that we recorded these back to back you no longer are guessing because gary let you know right away that that's not happening um gary, well, gary just back, gentlemen. and then was like here right and then he set the See, curtain this on is fire. actually wizard over here guys <laughs> yeah. oh, man his name's tom he's here every four days <laughs> right like just to uh piggyback off of the last week's episode with the fire analogy gary has set the whole curtain on fire <laughs> and we are standing naked, changing into our next costume. All right. So, hey, since no no time has passed, no new things have been drawn or written or created since then. So we're going to hop into our uh, year-end wrap-up, basically the most favorites of the year, what we enjoy. But of course, like we start every episode, what are you drinking? Gary, What what are you drinking this episode? So I just cracked it open. I haven't tasted it yet. Tasted it yet, but I am drinking Firestone's 2022 Gold Rider Vintage. The uh, the short, the little elevator pitch it has on the box. By the way, it comes in a box. So fancy. <clears throat> That's right. Uh, is blended ale aged in cognac barrels and orange bitters barrels with fresh lemon juice. It is supposed to reference. A sidecar. To me, it seemed like a good New Year's Eve, a New Year's kind of beer. Uh, feel like a little cocktail-y. Uh, I have not sipped it yet. Um, let's see how it goes. I'm going to try it right now. Gary, what is the ABV on that? That's aging in barrels, so I, I it might be a hammer. 
Okay, ABB, before I get into the tasting notes, I'm squinting at the bottle right now. Oh, 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 I've made a colossal error. I it was, is 11%. I was thinking, gentlemen. Yeah, I was thinking you had. Yeah, for some reason I had 6% in my head. And I was like, oh, good. I'll be able to step down from the tiramisu beer that we had. Yeah. The like pint and a half or whatever the hell it was. And like ease into a nice 6% beer and coast. No, this is 11. I'm actually stepping up. I don't know how I feel about this. But the flavor is actually really good. It does taste like a barrel-aged beer. It has that kind of, I don't know, what I would call sort of a caramely uh note to it mm -hmm. it is it does i wouldn't go so far as to call it lemony like a sidecar would be but it has that kind of a little bit of a tang to it it's 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 quite nice 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 so i am going with the double double oh, i am wow. going with the match pair now one thing so i'm holding up chocolate babka stout because a uh, fun inside baseball thing when we talked about the idea of all sharing a tiramisu beer I bought a tiramisu beer and I was like, cool, I'm good. And then I was in a Trader Joe's again and I was like, oh, I have the tiramisu. Let me get the chocolate babka. And then Scott and Gary, I got home and it was another fucking bottle of chocolate babka because I was a dumb shit. I didn't buy a tiramisu the first time. So <laughs> I had one of the chocolate babkas, I think, on a previous episode. And um, I'm actually only doing half of this one because it is a hammer. It's 10% and I'm knocking back probably about 11 ounces of it. So, um, yeah, I, I, there's no way I'm drinking the whole thing. I think I'm going to be flying off this one. <laughs> Good job, gentlemen. Uh, I am going with a, a uh, oldie but goodie for keith but a brand new one for me this is a revisitation of last year's brewery x bark griswold white christmas peppermint bark stout it is 6.5 percent abv um i like it it is nice it is smooth it isn't as thick as stouts normally are uh, much like that tiramisu beer that we had last episode I'm really enjoying this. And and you get that little, it's funny because it says bark stout. You get that little bite at the end, that little crispness of that peppermint. And um, I really enjoy it. It's solid. I uh, Luckily, we had grabbed two. My girlfriend was like, I think you're probably going to like that one. Should you grab another one? And I was like, I think you're right. So we did. I got a couple of them and I'm really enjoying it so far. Hell yeah, man. I have one of those in my fridge, so I'm glad I didn't go for that. So yeah, we're kind of reversing roles, right? Because I think you drank either one or both of these um, around the holidays last year. So yeah, I hadn't had that one. I, I really liked it. And yeah, I think I had the tiramisu and the chocolate babka last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, you actually, actually, you had one of them because the first one you had was some fucked up beer that you did not like. Yes. It was like a mead or a, oh. or a barley wine or something like that, right? It was a malt. It was a malt liquor. It was it was not good. Yeah. I did not enjoy that. Go ahead, yeah. Gary. Do we do we need to do the picture? Yes. Yes, we do, actually. All right. So this week we are skipping the whole what do we do this week? Like I had said previously. So we're going right into the favorites, the things that we enjoyed the most this year that we discovered, not necessarily what came out this year. We don't play strictly by those rules. It's stuff that we discover. Everyone in this new era where you do not have to TiVo 
your TV shows to see what's coming out. Everything is a la carte. You watch it, you consume it when you consume it. And we're going to go ahead and keep with that model, keep with that energy, because it just makes sense for us. So whatever we discovered this year, and uh, that's what we're doing. So let's kick it off. This is a comic-based podcast. So the very first thing is favorite comic book. Uh, Keith, let me start with you. What's your favorite comic book of the year? Ooh, I get to go first. This is exciting. So, uh, hey, are we going to we get to do some honorable mention kind of things? That Absolutely. Yes, okay. 100 percent. Where uh, you I got have... them, go ahead and mention them. If you don't have one, don't don't act like you need to find one. Rock on. Rock on. OK, so for me, I had a couple honorable mentions that I really, really enjoyed. One of them was the older series, which uh, I shouted out back. I had gotten the first issue in Houston when I traveled there this year and got the, the rest later. And that is King of Nowhere. That is an old book um, by W. Maxwell Prince. He was the writer. Fortunately, I don't know the artist because I'm a writer, but um, really solid, just a weird, solid five issue series. Um, I also, well, this is tough because it's not finished yet. So I think I'm going to hold on that because it may make it next year because it's not done. So instead, I'll just jump to my favorite comic series of the year, which was Catwoman Lonely City by Cliff Chang, um, written and drawn by Cliff Chang. I do not read a lot of Batman books. In fact, I, I don't read any. But there was something about this that jumped out on the stand. I think it was probably Cliff Chang's art on the cover that did it. So it's a four-issue limited series. And without invoking the almighty a little too much, it, it just had a whole lot of Dark Knight Returns to it. You know, we're talking about a world 10 years in the future where some apocalyptic stuff has happened. And without giving away anything, you have Catwoman and a, a league of, you know, supervillains slash, you know, um, kind of nebulous people slash acquaintances that are trying to make sense of the way Gotham is. Again, I don't want to give up anything, but boy, did I really enjoy that book. It's just a, a really great book and a four part prestige format through the DC Black Label. And uh, I loved it. That's awesome, man. Um, and just to drop, jump back real quick to your honorable mention, the artist is Tyler Jenkins on King of mm. Nowhere, number one. Um, yeah, I do. I did pick up that uh, Catwoman Lonely City, number one. I'm bummed that I didn't continue with the whole uh, series because after you had mentioned a few, I don't know how many episodes back, you were, you were talking like raving about it. I went back to SoCal Comics and looked for those other issues. Unfortunately, they were gone. So mm -hmm. uh, I screwed myself. I didn't get them. But uh, I have that first issue. So that I guess that's something. I can uh, always look at my comic shop and see if you want two through four. I'll I'll, I'll hit you up. Perfect, man. Thanks. Uh, Gary, what do you got? Your favorite comic book of 2022. So uh, I didn't do a lot of floppies in 2022, but I did do some some uh, compilations and hardcovers and things like that. And oh, right one on. that I came across, it's a Fantagraphics thing. Um, it's Invisible Wounds, which I have right here. It is by uh, Jess Rolifson, who I've never heard of. But basically, it is a compilation of true accounts of soldiers who have gone overseas and been in combat, done their service in the military, and transit they're transitioning back to the states and their normal lives and the experiences they've had and the difficulties they've had making that transition. Um, I, to be honest, it was a little bit research. Uh, I am in the middle of drawing D versus M 1979 right now. 
which is very uh, scientists in a top secret facility focused. But the next one, which I will be writing sometime in uh, 2023, is focused on soldiers. And so I was like, well, now's the time to start immersing. So I ordered some books and some graphic novels about actual like soldier accounts. This was one of them. And it, I really responded to it. It was really interesting. And I felt like it gave me a lot of good insight. I don't know if any of it will be useful to the writing of the script, but it was useful to me as a person. Uh, it was really interesting to get this glimpse, like a life that I've never experienced of, like I said, going overseas, being in the military, being in combat, and then coming back and going back to a normal life, you know, grocery shopping and filling up the tank and getting a normal job and just talking to normal people who have no sense of what that's like. It does a really good job. I can't remember how many individual anecdotes are in this or little anthology bits are in this. I would guess there's probably about a dozen. Um, to be, for full disclosure, I don't love the art style. I love the color scheme. The color is very cool. It's this kind of, uh, there's a word for it. I'm, it's not monochromatic, but there's basically like tones within the same color. So each okay. section will be like kind of warm, like orange tones. Another mm -hmm. one might be blue or whatever. <clears throat> so that's nice. I don't love the ink. I love the writing and the stories, which uh, this person found and kind of shaped into little anthologies uh, are great. Really, really good. It really stuck with me. So absolutely, it was an easy, not only my favorite comic of the year, but skipping ahead a little bit, my favorite writer of the year. All right. So mine. Um, OK, so I did have a honorable mention for my favorite comic book. It's A Righteous Thirst of Vengeance. It's by Image Comics. The artist is Rick Remender. Rick Remender is one of my favorite writers going in comics today. And the artist, so fantastic, is Andre Lima Araujo. And uh, he kind of has this. There's like a realism to it, but it's a single line art style and it's like almost manga adjacent. There's just something about it that's fantastic. And the whole book basically reads like a movie, like an action movie. Um, the dialogue is very sparse. It's just all art direction. And uh, Andre's panel work, his storytelling is so amazing that I, it was a high contender for my book of the year. Um, and it was barely edged out. And this is this is one of those things that's a little tough for me because I love the art and the writing so much on uh, a righteous act of vengeance, but a righteous thirst of vengeance, excuse me. Um, but I really, really love the story in eight billion genies. Um, every every month that that book comes out, it is on top of the list of books to read. It is, it is one of the very first, if not the first book that I read every time I get my new stack. And um, yeah, it's just so enjoyable. And there's just something about it. There's something about it that is, is I don't know, intrigues me to the point where it's like, yeah, this, this is the story that I need to read and I need to see what happens next. We are going to move to favorite artists. So favorite artist of 2022, uh, Keith. You are up. This is favorite comic artist. So uh, yes. yeah, not as as if there are any other artists. So uh, yeah, none exist ever in anything else. Let's let's get the dumbass out of the way first and have me do my comic artist. Have the writer talk about comic. 
Hey, you um, enjoy yes. what you enjoy, you know? Yeah, I enjoy what I enjoy. And what I enjoyed this year was a, uh, a dude by the name of Marco Fontanilli. So I, for, for the first thing, Marco Fontanilli did two books. Um, one I think was called King Jira, but that may have came out last year. But why I really like him is because, number one, he does all kinds of amazing uh, horror sketches on Instagram. So I, I highly recommend him as someone to follow on Instagram because he just does cool, like classic universal monster sketches an interesting kind of thick lined take, which is, which is one of the things I really like about him. And he wrote and drew a book on a black caravan called Pentagram of Horror. And it used the ever popular um, black kind of black, white, and red all over. And I'm just holding up a uh, one of the issues right now because it's just, it it has a lot of style to it. And of course, that's what I like about it. You know, it's, it's thick. Again, a lot of thick lines um, and a lot of just really interesting stuff going on with his storytelling. In fact, um, the unfortunate thing for me is a lot of these books read very fast because I'm flipping through this and you guys will notice not a lot of dialogue, you know, but gorgeous to look at. And um, I think he's amazing. And uh, he was just, you know, in terms of art, the art just really struck me on all of these books. Um, so, yeah, man, just a big fan of these books. And uh, and that is my artist of the year. Now, this is the same person you shared with us in our chat, correct? Correct, correct. The people at home who haven't looked this person up yet, if you're a fan of, I felt like, if you're a fan of Junji Ito, I think you would be very into uh, this artist's work. It's, a, it's That's kind of similar. I, I When I first saw it, I was like, oh, that's 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 Ito. And then when I went further into it, I was like, oh, no, this, is, this guy's doing his own thing, so... Yeah, I agree with that. There is a lot of, it's like a scratchiness to it, a lot of detail, um, tons of lines. And uh, yeah, yep, I 100% agree with that analysis of that artist for sure. Uh, Gary, who's your favorite artist of 2022? Uh, the one that I, I can't say, I didn't discover her in 2022, but I came to really love her work in 2022 is Joelle Jones. Uh, Joelle Jones would be familiar to anybody who's read Lady Killer, which is sort of her big landmark work. Uh, she's also done some Catwoman. She's done some Batgirl. Like she's, she's associated with DC. She's done a variety of things. I think she's a top five inker. Uh, I'm really more than anything else. That's what blows me away about her. I think her, her inks are remarkable. They have, a really impressive balance of they look loose, they look free, they look fast, and yet they're meticulous. And yet they're very specific. And yet when she's getting into the weeds of like a background or details on an outfit or details on a scene, like they are very clear and easy to read. And that's a funny balance to hit. As an artist, I can tell you, like it's, it's tricky to make it look breezy, but also very carefully done. Um, again, full disclosure for Lady Killer, I can't say like that was her. Like, I think she wrote it. She drew it. She did the whole thing. Someone else did the color, but she, it was it was her her baby. I didn't think she was a particularly great writer. I didn't think that story was particularly great, but I thought her inks were phenomenal. And she's kind of uh, made a fan for life in me with just her inks. 
Same with her Catwoman work, same with her Batgirl uh, work. When it comes to Catwoman and Batgirl, what I especially appreciate about, she has a good sense, and you see this especially in Lady Killer, which is a period piece. You can tell she loves not only drawing backgrounds, but fashion and clothing. It's very well thought out what everybody's wearing. And there is something, especially about her Catwoman costumes, that the functionality of them, and actually the Batgirl costumes too, really impresses me. Like you look at them and you can sense like this is actually, it's not just a sexy go-go dancer's outfit. It's not cosplay. Like this is something that not only looks cool, not only looks sexy, but actually would work. And that's, I'm impressed by that. Now, she got a little bit of flack early this year for, um, I think the term is swiping. <laughs> like that's the, where basically she, it appears that she looked at older stuff and kind of cribbed the, the posture of a character and then did her own thing on top of it. Uh, some people that's very offensive to them. Other people don't care. I would find myself in the, the, the I don't care camp. Uh, to be honest, I, I understand why some people are bent out of shape. If I was king in a perfect world, yes, she should probably give credit. On the other hand, I don't feel like this is the gravest of sins. I don't think this would keep her from entering artist heaven. Like this, it's, there is a long tradition, especially among comic artists, of doing that sort of thing. You can go all the back, way back to Kirby. You can go all the way back to Wally Wood. Like they all are doing it like crazy. They're under crushing deadlines. They need to come up with stuff fast, fast, fast. And then just, and now this might be the hot take and I'm gonna blame the beer. Hmm. Uh, people who would reduce this to merely tracing. I think they're either not artists or being disingenuous. Like they have a bone to pick, they have some objection and they're just picking, a, they, they just wanna take a hot take. It is not tracing. This is absolutely not tracing. Yeah, she's cribbing the posture. The posture is one of a thousand elements in a piece of art. And when you look at everything else she's doing, the line quality, the brush strokes, the choices she's making, what to emphasize, what not, how to compose the scene, that is basically all of it. And that's all her. You know, I've looked at these side-by-sides of like, this was a Superman she cribbed and here's her Superman. And you know what? Her Superman looks better. So like, I'll allow it. It's fine. I like, I, I, it's not, I mean, maybe fine is a little strong. It's a little weird, but I get it. And there's more, it's not just tracing. Tracing is what your four-year-old nephew does out of a dinosaur book they have. <laughs> she's not tracing. She's doing a totally different thing and it's fine. I think she's a very impressive artist. I wish I was as talented or as skilled as her. I'm not going to look at a few examples like that and write her off. Yeah, no. Um, and that's something I brought up to you earlier is, you know, there's there's a piece of it's like a Fantastic Four cover where Kirby has used a model. I think it might be from a Playboy or just like a swimwear magazine or something like that. And he com took the complete pose from it. And when you do things along that line, it's like all of these old school artists have morgue files. That's what they were called back in the day, morgue files. So you there was not a Google um, and there was not instant cameras like we have now. It was like, you got to go get that shit developed. Um, and, you know, so 
what they would do is if they found something in a magazine, a newspaper or whatever, and they thought it was useful, they would clip it out. They would have it in their morgue file. Um, I have no problem. I sit in the camp of I do not care. Um, one thing I'm, I'm trying to remember if it was the same one where it was basically she stole the Superman pose like verbatim, like it was the same exact pose. It's just like, okay, it's a little rough when, when that happens. Um, it depends. It's on an interior page or a cover, but you would more than likely want to give credit like, Hey, after so-and-so, whoever the first artist was, I have no problem with that. That's paying homage. Paying homage is perfectly fine. There's, there's no issues there. Um, if you do it in the middle of the issue, it's hard to pay homage. Like you're, you're, it's, it's an action scene. You don't want to write something down. It's distracting to the, the reader. Um, so honestly, I don't, I don't really give a shit about that kind of stuff. So if you're doing it, if you're doing it, don't feel bad about it. But the, here's the one thing I'll say is do not make it a crutch. And I've said the same thing with uh, reference photos. So if you're if you're doing your own book and you just don't know how to do that angle, take a photo, take a reference photo of it. There's no problem with that. But just make sure you are learning the craft. You're learning how to draw on your own. You don't necessarily need to have that photo every single time you draw a person in that pose from there on after because You've drawn it once, you've absorbed the information, hopefully, and then from there, you move forward and learn how to do it on your own. I'm going to give my own example. In one of the most recent issues that I was drawing, one of the characters, oh, Eddie, he has his hands down on a, a glass display case, and he's looking at Man of Action number one. And I I was like, you know what? I want to see, I want to get a good example of what the hands look like when they're down on that counter. And and I put a I put a comic book on my kitchen table. I put my hands down right next to the comic book. And um, so what I did was I took a picture of my left hand with the, the comic book in front of it, and then I put my right hand down, and then I grabbed it, and I took a picture of my my right hand down on the table. And then I spliced two, those two bitches together. I threw it in my Procreate file. I put it. I had my thumbnail blown up, which I had already sketched out the hands on the counter and stuff. I looked at the photo. I drew I drew my own hands in the comic book in that exact angle that I had it in the thumbnail. And when I finished I was like, I don't like that. I don't I don't like the way that looks. I was like, let me try something else. I removed that that layer. I closed the layer, put a new layer. I just drew over my thumbnails of the hands that I drew. I like those way better. So I wasn't being a slave to the photo. It was like, yeah, the photo has it exactly right because I can see my hands in that position. But the way I drew them on my own, there was a little bit more acting to it, you know, and and for whatever reason, that just spoke more to me. And I was like, no, I don't want the one that's that has to be the actual hands. It's not translating to me as the artist because for me, there wasn't enough style there. And so it's just like, you know what? No, I'll, I'll use the ones that I drew freehand. I think they came out great. I think it works. Um, back to Joel Jones. As you were talking, I was studying the the images that you sent over. So uh, full disclosure, disclosure as, far as, as far as the artist um, favorites of this year, we shared with each other who we thought was our favorite artist or, or who our favorite artist was. Um, it is a visual medium, comic books. So we want to see what each other is talking about. So while you were talking, 
I was making sure to look at those images that correlated with what you're saying. Um, yeah, her backgrounds are fantastic. She picks great angles. She has very, very nice shots. And that's something that you can't just copy. I mean, it's something you study over the years when you're reading comic books. You're like, yeah, okay. And then they switch to this shot and this shot or whatever. But where she's picking to put those cameras is is fantastic. And much to what you were saying about her inking, her inking is very sharp. It's very fluid and then very pointy at certain spots. And it makes me wonder which images when she's – the ones that you've shared specifically, what she's using – reference for and what she isn't because there's a couple of pieces that are slightly they have a slightly different feel and i'm like is this her freehand or is this her referencing something and it's just a small vibe and i don't know if you caught that with the images that you sent um but there's certain ones where i'm just like that kind of just feels like her and those are just as good as anything that she might have referenced most of the ones i sent <clears throat> i believe are just her there are a couple though that I know exactly what you mean. Like there was an ink for a cover, a lady killer cover uh, that, yes, that's exactly the one. That to me, that to me feels like she had a, a reference model or an image or something she was working from. Like it doesn't look, again, the word traced gets thrown around a lot and it's a bullshit word. Reference. Not usually what we're talking about, but you can tell that maybe she was looking at something. It just has that feel of like being real life where most of her stuff is a little more stylized. And uh, that's what I would assume is like, that's just her being her and the backgrounds. Again, you can't, you can't swipe that from anything. Her backgrounds are uniquely hers and you can tell, and this is again, something I think if you're not an artist, it might be tough to uh, uh, mirror this feeling. But if you are an artist and you look at her work, you realize, she is remarkable and even if she's been tracing everything whatever she's doing a great job <laughs> you know like like and I, I understand that's a weird hot take for some people but and she's not tracing everything once in a while it looks like you know she's cribbing a panel just to speed up her process uh but she's that doesn't take away from the fact she's an immensely talented person so yeah so i'm i want to have a, a slightly larger conversation about swiping because for me, the, the quick version of this, if we were compressed for time, is there's a fine line between swiping and theft. And if you can pick it out, then feel free to educate me because I'm not sure where it is, right? And, and a couple examples came up in other media that make me think of it, okay? One, drink up, party people. George Lucas referenced old samurai war helmets when creating, when when getting, I think, Ralph McQuarrie to create the initial look of Darth Vader. Okay. Is that swiping? You tell me. You know what I mean? Like Led Zeppelin inverted old Robert Johnson blues riffs to create a lot of Led Zeppelin things. Quentin Tarantino has had movies of his that are nothing but pastiches of all the things he loves, right? But like, think about the three things I just said, you know, like, well, you know, George Lucas took old samurai war masks and then used that as a basis for blah, blah, blah. It's like, you realize how stupid you sound? You know what I mean? Like, like, yes, it's influence. It's influence versus swiping. Led Zeppelin inverted blues riffs. Okay, number one, 
I challenge anybody to find music that sounds truly unique these days. You know, in music, there has been a conversation for the last 30 years on are all the songs taken? Like these are legit questions that musicians have on are, are all the songs taken? There's only so many notes and so many patterns you can do, you know? And then for the for the final um, thing of Quentin Tarantino, it's like, oh, well, it's just a pastiche of this movie and that movie and that movie and that movie and this movie and that movie and that scene. It's like, dude, you just named 17 things. You know what I mean? Like at some point there does become an art in taking, you know, these things and putting them together into a brand new cohesive story that references all those things, but is its own unique thing, like Kill Bill, you know? So again, like, it, it's a very fine line, you know, to quote something that Gary loves quoting a lot, the old Justice Stevens line about pornography, I'll know it when I see it. I think we all do have an innate sense of where swiping is a bit too much, like, ooh, okay, that's bad. But, you know, to me, my innate alarm did not go off with this. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's a similar pose, but shit, poses are going to get similar at some point. Yeah, I'm I'm I actually started Googling the stuff where she was accused of and she is stealing poses like she is. There is a Superman piece where it's the exact same pose. She changed the costume, modernized it or whatever. Um, And then this one, I think this is a cover. And and it is it is a swipe of a I think it's an X Men cover on the the left and then I th- I think it's a Wonder Woman cover on the right I think hers is on the right there so but people they take poses it's it's something that happens in comics um, like I said this is a cover I would say her misstep on this is not going. You know, like some some artists do it with tongue in cheek. They go, apologies to so and so, you know, whatever. And I have zero problem with that type of thing. So I would say if there is a misstep there, it was just not giving the credit. And and but beyond that, I have zeros with that. Zero issues with that. I agree 100 percent. And to me, like not to be glib, <clears throat> but especially in this arena, talking about comics, I file it under hate the uh hate the game not the player (laughs) you know it's this is comic like again i can't get away from in a perfect world would it be nice to do the little shout out the little acknowledgement absolutely like 100 did she crib these poses 100 like if you look at them side by side there's there's no denying it yeah there's zero but again a long tradition of this in comics. And it's not because these people are thieves (laughs) and it's not because they're not talented. And when you look at, for example, Lady Killer, which I think is a great magnum opus of her ability to draw and not something where you're gonna find any of those comparisons. These comparisons come up when she's doing Catwoman and Wonder Woman and Batgirl. And why? Well, because she's feeling the immense crunch of, you know, getting stuff out under a unbelievable schedule, you right. know, and that's not, I'm, I'm not even trying to excuse, I'm just explaining. And again, if there wasn't this long tradition of this, going all the way back to the gods of comics, Kirby, Wally Wood, McFarlane has done it. Like they've all Tons. done it. Tons. Why are we picking on her? I hate to say it. Some of these guys, it's because of misogyny, you know, right. like that's that's why they're singling her out as like, oh, she's swi-. you know what? They're all swiping and it's right. because they have to swipe because the deadlines are insane. So I again, it doesn't bend me out of shape. She's amazing. 
There's a page you sent. Um, it's a girl that has a looks like a wedding ring or something like that. She's laying on a bed. The first panel is a hundred percent her. Like there's a lot of backward background work going on. It's a guy carrying a box down some steps, and it's kind of like the wall view, like of him going down the steps, a, a side profile of it. And I know this is all of her because there's a stack of books above a chair, a computer chair. If if those aren't the biggest fucking books I've ever seen in my entire life, are they all artist editions? Like on crack, double right. size, you know. Right. But but the background is beautiful. Like beyond the yeah. book size, it's just like there's no fault with that. It's beautifully inked, like something you had mentioned previously. There's nothing wrong with that background. That's me nitpicking as an artist. It's like yeah, this this is a fucking giant ass book. It's as big as the chair, but. I'm okay with it. It's okay. We all got deadlines. You got to do what you got to do. If you see something again, you'll do it better next time. No big deal. I have a very important comment. Yes. Oh shit! <laughs> you're done. Wow. wow. You're you're lot. done. That is, done. That is quick. Man. Now I, I'm not. I'm, this isn't going to be a tradition going forward or anything. But it's it's a holiday tradition that we're implementing right now. I'm ringing the fucking Liberty Bell when I'm done. Oh, to be clear, you're just that's half of the babka, correct? Half of the babka. That, that well, I think you need to do the whole babka. Then. No, 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 no. Full babka. No, no babka. No. I'm not doing the full. Hashtag babka. full babka. I'm hashtag. <laughs> full babka. Okay. All right. Moving on to favorite artist, a uh, comic book artist. Um, you guys just did yours. I did not do. I've been drinking. I have not done mine. So <laughs> yeah. mine is Trad Moore. So full disclosure, up until one day ago, if not a day, because time is relative for me right now, because I've had a lot of alcohol, um, it was Daniel Warren Johnson. And that was Keith's last year. But I had to put Daniel Warren Johnson as my favorite artist before this morning or last yesterday um, for do a powerbomb. There's been some amazing scenes, amazing images, full page splashes that he's done in that book. And I feel like he upped a level as opposed to his other, like from his previous work, which was already amazing. So if you guys have not checked it out yet, go check out do a powerbomb. It's a comp. It's a comic book about pro wrestling, um, but like fantasy pro wrestling, there's like a fantasy element to it. It's really fun. It's beautiful work. Check it out. Um, there is a couple of things that he did in there really clever writing wise. And I was, I was like, oh shit, that's like legit. And me and Keith had a conversation about it. He's like, I need to go back and check to make sure he's just not, you know, putting that in. And, and I was like, dude, I went back, I checked it all checks out. Like, like he had some nice reveals in there. Very cool. Do a power bomb, Daniel Warren Johnson, go check that out. Uh, but my favorite artist is trad Moore. So I've known of Trad Moore. I know his um not, ticks isn't the right word. It's like there's certain elements of his art that he loves to do. It is a trademark of his work. And it's like a lot of parallel lines, a lot of uh, repeat imaging. And um, it creates this nice effect. And I've seen it in cover work and in, in splash images, some commissions and stuff like that. But honestly, I've never gone through a comic. I've never read a comic book by him. And I've had the legacy of Luther Strode for a few months back. I, I talked about it on the pod when I did get it. SoCal Comics had a bundle pack. I think it was like one through four or one through six, whatever that that series was. 
and I got it for six. Oh, it was four issues for six or five issues for six bucks. That's what it was. And I was like, dude, fucking killer deal. I like Trad more from what I've seen. I finally started reading it the last couple of days, and I have been blown away by some of the images that he draws in his interiors. Like, as cool as his cover work is, his interiors far exceed anything I've ever seen on a cover. Like, it's it's amazing to see an artist of his quality go in the way that he does on his interiors and like the pride that he has doing those interiors. And I love it. I absolutely love it. I have so many artists that I enjoy heavily, but they're just cover artists. And like, and I say, but they're just, that means something to me. You know what I mean? Like there's guys that I absolutely love. And, and like for, I will say for instance, J Scott Campbell, he's just a cover artist now. He is one of my favorite interior artists. Unfortunately, he just doesn't do it anymore. And he doesn't do it anymore because he felt like people were not appreciating what he was doing on the interiors because they would breeze through his work so quickly. And I'm so glad that Trad Moore is sticking with it and doing these amazing interiors. And do yourselves a favor. If you have not read Luther Strode, any of the, the mini series, I think it's, I believe it's three series of uh, Luther Strode. Pick all those up. There is a trade paperback. It collects all three of the miniseries into one. It's about 30 bucks on Amazon. Do yourself a favor. Get that. Be excited by that art that you see. Yes. you. So you shared examples in our chat, just like I shared the Joel Jones examples. <clears throat> Instant addition to my Amazon cart. I'm very excited for my complete uh, Luther Strode. Yeah, that is, it looks fantastic. And you know, I think sometimes what we're drawn to is when we see stuff that's aspirational for us. Yes. Like it's like, oh, that's, you know, I, I, I want to get better at that. And what I liked about what you were showing and what I described it in the chat as, it's like everything has this kind of fisheye look to it where he's really comfortable getting away from the very geometric, thoughtful, like, you know, like perspective lines. Yeah, it's more like let's be a little kind of it's a lot of French curves all throughout the thing. And it's really beautiful and really bold and really different. I can't think of another comic that looks like it. So I'm very excited to get a copy. Yeah, he though. And, and longtime listeners will know that my number one obsession with art right now is time and space and speed. How do you make something look like it's moving in a still image? And he has a way of doing it just so much differently than any other artist that I've ever seen. And those images that I was showing with you guys, uh, sharing with you, they were blowing me away. I was like, wow, this is just, this is so different. It's just, I can't explain it. It's just a moment of time captured, but there's still movement to it in some way. And it's just really beautiful. And, and if you see his work, you're like, like if you see cover work, you're like, how does this style specifically translate into movement? And I don't know how he does it, but he does it, and it's amazing. Yeah, good pick. All right. Um, okay, so we're moving on to favorite writers. So this is going to be my weakest section. So I'm going to jump first. Um, how can my favorite comic book not also be my favorite writer? Eight Billion Genies was my favorite comic of the year. My favorite writer, writer Charles Soule. Um, I really enjoyed the book uh, again. Oh, the premise of this. I'm sorry. I should have said this in the comic section for you out there who have not heard of the comic book, know what it's about. One day on Earth, 
every single person gets their own genie and gets one wish. So what happens on Earth? That is 8 billion genies. It's fucking bonkers. And uh, one of my favorite things that it does is it starts off with a picture of Earth, right? So you have this drawing of Earth. Earth's normal. Everyone gets genies. Boom, boom, boom. Some pages go by. It goes eight hours later. It shows the Earth. It's a fucking hexagon. And like there's like, <laughs> I don't know, dinosaurs <laughs> flying, giant dinosaurs flying off of it. It just gets crazier and crazier as time goes on. And it's just such a fantastic book. Charles Soule, fantastic job. How can my favorite comic book not be the favorite writer? Vice versa. Bravo. Charles Soule. Or Soule, excuse me. Yes, I want to pick that one up as well. Yeah, I was the same thing. My favorite comic was Invisible Wounds. My favorite writer was Jess Rolofson of Invisible Wounds. I thought uh, she did a great job of collecting these different anecdotes of people, you know, who have their experiences in the military and transitioning back to just normal uh, civilian life. And there, there's an art to that. It's, you know, some I'm, certainly she was probably sitting down with people and they probably gave her hours and hours and hours or thousands of words of information. And she has to shape that into, a, you know, a five page or a 10 page little bit in this book. And she did a great job. It was very readable, very interesting and very impactful. So awesome. All right. So because it's me, I'm double dipping. I'm doing a favorite prose writer and I'm doing a favorite comic writer. Yes, I was going to say, um, as as of last year's tradition, uh, Gary, you're also more than welcome to jump in with that if you've got a favorite prose writer. So uh, I'll go and give Gary time to think about it. So for comics, uh, my favorite writer is Yukinobu Hoshino. And it's on the strength of one book that came out in 1990 that kicked around in my brain for a long time. And I finally grabbed all 10 issues it is 2001 Nights. This is from Viz Manga back before any of this shit was that popular. You know what I mean? So again, this is a 32-year-old book I'm holding in my hand. Yeah, Viz, I think, was one of the premier manga companies coming out to the U.S., I believe. they Yeah, they were. And one of the reasons I know that is because they went exclusive with Capital City in the distributor wars um, and Capital City sustained a business model for like a year and a half with its biggest publishers being Kitchen Sink, Fanographics and Viz. And uh, while while Diamond got Image, DC, Dark Horse and everybody. And of course, Marvel did their own thing and fucked the whole industry. But, uh, but anyway. And then like what a stable they had, though. Those are three solid publishers. They're not the big boys. Yeah. But they're- the next tier down for sure. Yeah. They they were a combined like one point three percent of the market, which you know re- wrote Capital City's death warrant. Rest in peace, man. I, I I enjoyed working for you way back in the day, but this book, um, uh, with the like this is probably tied with Death Note as the smartest book I have ever read. This is nothing but a bunch of ruminations on like interstellar travel. And so it is just, it'll say like night one, and then you'll get this snippet that talks about like deep, deep space exploration. And then it'll go night two, and then it'll be another snippet totally unrelated to the first, and then be more about deep space exploration. What, what drew me back to it was that um, issues two through four deal with the discovery of a 10th planet out from the sun consisting of nothing but antimatter. And they named it the planet Lucifer, which immediately warmed it 
warm the cockles of my heart, right? So way back in the day, I had to read this. I read this because Capital City was working with Viz. And when when I was a Capital City sales rep, one day I, I opened my front door and there were three boxes packed of comics and they were nothing but the books that these guys make. And I was supposed to read them all. And I remember reading a couple you know, issues of this and I came upon this whole planet Lucifer subplot, but there's so much more to that than this. So again, dense, like really, really heady and not full of much action, but boy, do I love it. So yeah, um, again, that is uh, Yukinobu Hoshino. And I'm not sure what else uh, that person has done, but fuck, 2001 Nights is just incredible. Oh, yeah. And man. Then, yeah, yeah. And then in, in terms of book writer, so for me, the book writer was like a landslide. I discovered, fell in love with, and read four novels by Emily St. John Mandel this year. Um, people may know Emily St. John Mandel indirectly if they don't know who she is, because she wrote a book called Station Eleven, which has been a show on some streaming service. So Station Eleven is a post-apocalyptic book um, that came out a while ago. Scott, if you remember, again, I think I mentioned a little bit of this on the podcast, but I know I went back and forth hard uh, with you on it, that I tracked down what I thought was a first edition of the book yes. without, without this special one page, basically like a, a, a piece of art. So I have it on my shelf over there. It is the first edition. It just doesn't come with the print. So it's not that valuable, but like I got a first edition of the book right there. Dude, so um, I have, that's I have, awesome. Yeah, I have three of our first editions right there: Sea of Tranquility, um, Station Eleven, and The Glass House. All three are fantastic. And uh, I don't know, should I do favorite book? Am I the only one with a favorite prose book? Because I can knock that one out too. Uh, Gary, I have a favorite book. I don't have a favorite prose book. Okay, let me <clears throat> yeah. let me um, jump in real quick. That number one, Two Thousand One Nights, is now on my list. I wrote that down. Awesome. I know I know you posted a couple of images of it over the last couple of months as you were picking them up. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely on my radar now. I definitely want to check that out. Um, I also forgot honorable mention on my writer was Rick Remender just from A Righteous Thirst of Vengeance. But mm -hmm. uh, moving on, favorite book, Keith, go ahead. Yeah, so my favorite book book, again, prose book, since we already talked about comics, it is not one of the three books I see on my shelf there, and I need to remedy that. It's an Emily St. John Mandel book called The Singer's Gun. So um, the three books I just mentioned, plus The Singer's Gun, all fantastic. Um, I mean, all four of these Emily St. John Mandel books I read, they're arguably my four favorite books of the year in terms of what I read. I'm, I'm probably going to clock in around 39 or 40 books this year. And these what was, four, her, uh, what was her first one there? Like, what's the space in between these books? Is it every couple of years or? So I think I actually think her first couple books are ones I have not read, but I avoided those because those reviews seem to be mixed. So I'm I'm just taking a guess here that to go into her first couple books may have been like the kind of deep dive where it's their first super raw album when they weren't ready for primetime. Um, but I'll probably read them at some point. I was going to say, those might be fun to revisit. Like yeah. I have Daniel Warren Johnson's first miniseries that he ever did, like his first comic book miniseries that he ever drew. Um, mm -hmm. And like you said, that's the kind of like, are they ready yet? Are they? Not? I haven't read it, so I can't say that he is, but he definitely isn't fully formed Daniel Warren Johnson yet. But I do look forward to checking it out because I love his work. So why not see what he was before he figured his shit out? No, that makes sense. And, and I think I can totally relate to that because my favorite Stephen King books are among his first five 
before he became Stephen fucking King, you know? So like there is a certain edge that those first couple books have, especially Salem's Lot, which is actually my favorite Stephen King book. It's just a bit more raw and nasty because he hadn't found that I'm Stephen King vibe yet, you know, but Didn't um, he get like sober. Um, I remember hearing basically hearing his, the vibe of his books changed a little bit once he got sober. Maybe. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's it's, you know, I think out the gate, I can't remember what his first first book was, but it was pretty much a smash. And, ever, you know, ever since then, it's kind of been like, why do I need an editor? I'm Stephen King, <laughs> you know, um, but but early on, he hadn't, you know, it's kind of like anything. Like I think of this in terms of sportscasters, sportscasters start out by like creating catchphrases. But then at some point, if they become really popular, they sort of become the catchphrase. And then you worry that they become a caricature of themselves. And I think that might apply to things like stand-up comedians um, and other people like that, right? Like I think the show in Living Color is a great example of that. A show that was super funny and inventive, but then after a while, after a couple seasons, it sort of felt like they were just revisiting all their catchphrases and knocking them out for everybody. You know, um, well, yeah, like to give yeah. examples of the two uh, subjects that you mentioned, um, talk show host, sports talk show host, Stephen A. Smith, he's a caricature of himself now, uh, mm-hmm. basically. And yep. then Jim Gaffigan is a caricature of a comedian who he used to be a very solid one. Now everything is hot pocket based or in the vein of it. And it's just like, <laughs> we're done with this. No yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. But anyway, so the singer's gun barely edged it out i just i loved it for the weirdness of it and i also loved it for the setting which actually takes place i believe on the italian island of ischia which has added itself to as a place that i want to go and it's it's phenomenal i mean all four books that i mentioned are phenomenal but that's the one that that just slightly edges it out right on gary did you have anything to add there do you have a favorite prose book or should we move on to the next section I do not have a prose book this year because I have been drawing and prose books take some time. So Absolutely. I have a regular book. So, okay. Um, all right. So we were moving on to favorite TV show, favorite yeah. TV show. Gary, why don't you go first? Oh, it's, this was an easy one for me. It was Andor and or hands down and or not even close and or like they can't even see the second place person behind them. Everyone's sitting there waiting and, should we go home? What's it like? Is that person even coming? Are they dead? Did wolves eat them? No. And or by a mile. Uh, I so and I'm going to try and avoid being negative about other Star Wars TV shows. Suffice it to say, my reaction to them has ranged from lukewarm to actively despised, like just really just not <laughs> not into it all. So when but that being said, I am a Star Wars fan and I love Star Wars. And every time a new show or a new movie or anything comes out, I still am able to rally and say, like, I am open to having a good experience with this. I'm not cynical and jaded and like burned out on it. I'm not like no more of this for me. Like every time I go in with an open mind. So I approached Andor. It's like, you know, I I want this to be good. Maybe it'll be good. I watched the first three episodes in a stretch, which I recommend for anybody trying to get into it. I think you need to get through those. That Those first three episodes are basically a movie. You need to watch them all in one sitting. And I was hooked. And with every episode after that, I was thinking at the end of it, that was great. 
I don't see how they can maintain this. The next one's going to shit the bed or something. Something's going to go off the rails. It's not going to like they're going to fall apart somehow. And every episode I was like, wow, that was great. Okay, the next one, there's no way they can maintain. Wow, that was an amazing one. Like and all through the series. And by the time I got to the one just before the penultimate series uh, uh, episode before the finale, I was like, there's no way this finale is going to like stick the landing like somehow something's going to go off the rails. It's Star Wars. It always goes off the rails. And I love the finale, too. I am so delighted by it. It's the most I've loved a Star Wars anything in a long time. Uh, it's to me far and away the best of the Star Wars TV and better than most of the movies. Uh, I love everything about it. If you watch my live stream, I've talked about it at length on multiple occasions. Someone in the chat will get me going on Andor or I'll bring it up like, what did I do this week? Oh, I watched another Andor and I'll start just basically gushing about Andor. Andor is a fantastic Star Wars show. And even setting aside Star Wars, it's a fantastic show. I had a friend who put it very, if you want to sum it up, he said, I didn't realize I wanted the wire set in the Star Wars universe until I saw it. And that's what Andor was, where it okay. was like, this is just amazing and I love it. And this is exactly what I've wanted. So there you Hold go. On. Cool. Um, I knew that that was going to be your pick, actually, uh, just based off of the live streams that I have watched and your face facebook page so i knew that was going to be it and uh, you did not let me down and i enjoyed all that i actually have only watched the first episode and i watched it when it first came out and hadn't watched anything since so i'm actually trying to re-watch it things are just so busy and or is one of those shows where you need to not have anything else going on and unfortunately my life has a lot going on so i do look forward to sitting down and consuming it all um and uh yeah yeah, just based off of what you've said, the pimping that you've done on it. So I'm excited, excited for that. Uh, Keith, what do you got? Favorite TV show? Andor was also my favorite TV show. Oh, shit. Right on. However, so uh, let me let me add my little dimension to Andor. Uh, let me let me give it a quick honorable mention, though. In my case. I thought Andor peaked at the sixth episode. How many episodes thought, are there? Uh, there are 12. There are oh, 12. Okay. And I thought seven through 12 were quite good, but I thought the, the four through six were the real high point of the series. And unlike Gary, I think that Andor can turn around and see a TV show um, like in the distance and that TV show <laughs> Sandman. But that also, Scott, you may have picked that because Sandman, I can't, I can't not fucking recommend Sandman. You know what I mean? Like all, all you had to do with Sandman was not fuck up the comic. And they didn't fuck up the comic like the the source material is too good. You just had to not fuck it up. So I liked Andor more, but Sandman was was close enough for me to at least mention it. But yeah, I mean, Andor's awesome because what I like about it is, again, it's that new thing, but it's also just the grimy corners of the Star Wars universe. It makes you without giving away anything, Scott, it makes you appreciate how grimy the worlds in the Star Wars universe can be. And it makes you appreciate the reach of the fucking empire. You know what I mean? Like you appreciate the vastness of the empire as glimpsed through Andor through this, through this series. 
Yeah, that's the one thing that draws most people, I think, without them knowing. I'm not one that has to pick one or the other, but if you did pick the thing that draws you to Star Wars, is kind of that griminess of it. It's just like, wait, this is supposed to be the future. Why is it so fucked up? Like, And then I think a lot of the criticism that comes with the prequels is everything's a little too fucking shiny because the world that you got to know was that griminess. Now, the argument obviously is, yeah, this is pre-grime. This is like, hey, this is the shiny object in the sky. Don't you want to be us? And then everyone's like, fuck you. We don't want that shit. And then so it brings you down to earth. And that's the thing that people love. So to hear that you have that griminess in Andor, very cool. Very excited about that. Yeah. I, I would just suggest, Keith, tell me if you agree or disagree. It's one of the best looking in terms of scenery and sets and like landscapes and vistas, all that stuff the best looking Star Wars things out there. Yeah. Like it really has a neat visual design to it. And they did a fantastic job finding real world locations and sort of repurposing them and doing a little bit of CG matting to make it look like a sci-fi place. Yeah, uh, You really get a sense of just the weirdness of the galaxy. And I wanna echo what Keith said uh it makes the, a lot of people have said this it makes the empire intimidating again yeah. which is something if there was any room to improve on the original trilogy and there's not a lot of room is to show why the empire is so reviled and i think andor does a fantastic job at doing that it, it actually it's one of the rare things that is enhancing the original trilogy which is crazy because most star wars stuff is like oh no 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 stay away from the original trilogy you're screwing it up this is actually i think making the original trilogy better right and i think that goes with the namesake of rogue one right if you Mm -hmm. like rogue one and there's a bit of an enhancement there it kind of goes oh shit okay this is what it's all this is the prequel the prequel before the prequel or yep. in between the prequel, right? Um, okay, so we're moving on to... Oh, no, TV I show. did not do mine. My favorite TV show, as Keith guessed, it's The Sandman. The Sandman is my TV show of the year. Honorable mention, Wednesday. Wednesday just came out, um, I think, a week or so ago. It's revolving around the Adams family, but it's focused on the character of Wednesday. Uh, me and my girlfriend love it. I am infatuated with the show i love it we we only do an episode at the at a time we really like to absorb these as we're going we don't want to do binge watching because i don't know binge watching binge watching sucks like you kind of ruin it you know it's just like look it's okay the whole series of andor is past now so we can binge watch a few of them but what's the harm of taking your time watching an episode and then talking about it throughout the week until you get the next one. And then, so that's kind of the approach that we're taking with Wednesday. Um, But the Sandman, we couldn't help ourselves. We would watch an episode or two at a time and it would be like, okay, okay, we just, we, we got to watch the next one to see what happens. Yeah. So I've got to say we've flipped. Uh, I watched Andor and I have not gotten around to Sandman. So like that's oh. something, you know, when I say it's a dis I it wasn't even a visible second. I shouldn't right. really say that. I haven't really watched it. And second, it's crazy that you bring up Wednesday because just this morning with Mary over coffee, I was looking streaming on my like just scrolling on my phone. I was like, what is the deal with Wednesday? Everybody's talking about Wednesday. Really good. <laughs> it's so I guess it's really good. I it's, mean it's I better than it should be. That's that was my reaction. It's like, I don't understand why people are so taken by this thing that I was ready to totally ignore. 
it's like it's like Gal Gadot in Wonder Woman number one. You're like, she's so charming. The the actress that plays Wednesday is fucking charming, but in a weird gothy kind of way. You're like, why is this so intriguing? And you just want to watch the next one. It's 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 an excellent show. I really enjoy it. I think we have maybe three more episodes uh, left. Um, so we're definitely taking our time. We're definitely enjoying it. But um, yeah, if you guys haven't seen Sandman, the Sandman, number one, this is a comic podcast. How have you not watched the fucking Sandman? Unless you're Gary. <laughs> yeah. I know. Shame but, on uh, me. Shame you, on me. You need to watch it. We're just hating ranch dressing people. <laughs> <laughs> like you fucking digital comic reading ranch dressing motherfuckers. Um, yeah, it's it's the Sandman is I never read the books. I want to read the books. Keith is going to eventually let me borrow the trades, um, mm. but I'm, I'm really interested in it just based off of the show alone. Now, I will say there's some CGI stuff, but like a lot of British shows are like that where CGI is kind of wonky. Like I love Doctor Who, but you're like, man, the CGI is shit. Then after a while, you're like, it's part of the charm of the show and you kind of just accept it. So but beyond that, I have no faults with the Sandman, but again, I'm I'm prepped with with like British shit, so I'm like aware of it. So I was like, yeah, all right, this is what it is. But uh, yeah, so that's mine. Uh, all right, moving on to favorite movie, Gary. Favorite movie of 2022. <clears throat> okay, so it wasn't a 2022 thing. Um, just for a very quick run up, if you've been watching my YouTube, you know that I've been doing a top five once in a while thing with my friend uh, Jim Luhan. He's an indie animator. We did top five movies, uh, I, which we're not saying these are the best five movies in the world. It's our personal favorite five movies. He picked five, I picked five, and, and we talk about them. I did that, and then I afterward talked to my girlfriend about it, and she named her five. And one on her list was A Ghost Story, which was a movie I've never seen, uh, directed by David Lowery, uh, stars Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara. Uh, I don't remember the year it came out. It's probably four or five years old, something like that. Uh, and so we made the decision we were going to watch out of our personal top five movies. We're going to watch each other's that we hadn't seen. So we sat down and watched a ghost story. I was totally taken by it. It was one of the best movies I've seen in forever. Uh, some people have said it's a little hipster and pretentious. Well, breaking news, folks. I'm a little hipster and I'm a little pretentious. So it's like, I was fine with it. Uh, like that's, I, I actually found it quite moving, uh, really emotionally powerful. It actually, I was so locked into it that at one point she's showing me her, one of her favorite movies. And at one point she wanted to chime in on something she was, and I kind of wanted to shush her. Like, I was like, I'm, I'm watching this movie. Excuse me. I'm watching this movie. Like I was totally, totally into it. I I do that um, when I'm consumed with something and my girlfriend does it. Yes. I will pause it and I will do this. <laughs> I do the same thing. The turn. Like, the say turn. what you're going to say yes. and then we will continue. Pause the movie and the turn. You give them the turn, the look, to let them know <laughs> you're fucking up. Yeah. See, I'm we're going to listen to what you're saying, but you're yes. fucking up a little bit. Yes. 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 Okay. And then you turn back and then you yes. hit play. And then hit play. And like, now we will continue. You know what the big move is? It's like, let's rewind a little bit because now I've lost my place because of your jabbering. Yeah. But like, yes, no. So that's, yeah. I was totally involved with it uh, for, I'm not going to summarize the whole movie, but basically a ghost story. It's kind of a, 
uh, a winky title. It is very literally the story of a ghost. Uh, very early on in the movie, Casey. This isn't a spoiler. Casey Affleck dies. Uh, his wife or girlfriend, it's a little fuzzy to me, Rooney Mara, just continues on, and he's kind of floating around the house watching her move on. I found it, it sounds very, <laughs> it sounds very, well, again, pretentious and hipster. It actually, I found it to be very emotional, very powerful. I think anyone who's experienced a death, and I think when you're at our age, like some, you've had experienced at least a couple, it really was affecting I thought it was very smart and very interesting and very beautifully done. And it was a movie that skyrocketed from having never seen it into my top five. Like I would have rearranged my personal top five after seeing this movie. So I would, I, it's a little weird. Not every, It's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. It also, again, stars Casey Affleck, who may or may not be a sex pest or something. I don't know. He got me too whatever. Yeah. Like, but what? it's a beautiful movie. It's a beautiful piece of work. I strongly recommend it. So right on. Keith, what do you got? You know, I had a hunch that this was going to be Gary's favorite movie. And I have not seen Gary's top five. So I am pleased because I actually had a backup because I was going to let Gary go first. And I was going to I was going to have a backup. But now I don't have to do my backup. And I will let you know, this is also another category for me. So I'm about to name a multiverse movie as my favorite movie of the year. What? Except it's not the multiverse movie you think. No, it's, it's the one that I think. It's I know the one that I think. It's, it's everything, the one that I everywhere, think. all at once. That's the one. Yeah. It is. So look, look, people listening. <laughs> if you want a completely fucking gonzo ass kung fu movie that leans into every bit of how weird it is. I cannot recommend this movie enough. I'm not saying it's a cinematic masterpiece, okay? What I will say is that Michelle Yeoh is already getting like crazy props for her performance in this. I I love this movie. So I actually saw it on a plane for the first time about four days ago. And I was like, and I was actually struggling with movie of the year. And, and I happened to see it on the plane. I'm like, well, there's my movie of the year. That was pretty easy. And I just bought it on Blu-ray, actually, because nobody in my family has seen it. So um, Gary has seen it. Scott, have you seen it? No. Gary? So so Gary can vouch for this without me giving anything away. There are, I mean, I'm going to say, what, Gary, maybe four action set pieces that completely made me lose my shit. Like, laugh yes. out loud on an airplane. I cannot believe they fucking did that. Awesome. Right. 100%. And I'm so delighted that you named it because if I hadn't seen a ghost story this year, it would have absolutely been everything everywhere all at once. Easily. Like yeah, that I've was nothing, such a good movie. I've heard nothing but good things about that movie. I've I've heard multiple people praise it. So, um yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully it'll come out on some kind of home theater soon and I can check it out because it's it's been getting great reviews from every single person that I've I know that has has seen it. Yeah, it's it's Gonzo. And and in a way, you know, something I was going to say about Daniel Warren Johnson is that every comic Daniel Warren Johnson does, does two things. One, it brings crazy action. And two, it has a heart. Right. I think that is the thing about Daniel Warren Johnson books that are so great. They always have this heart of gold. And that's what makes this movie amazing, too. Completely insane. And it has a big heart. Right on. 
Uh, my favorite movie. Oh, sorry. No, it's all good. Uh, my favorite movie, Doctor Strange 2, the other multiverse movie. Um, the one that no one here was guessing was Keith's favorite movie that revolved with the multiverse. <laughs> Which was um, actually my number two. But <laughs> Oh, right on. Yeah. yeah. So uh, my number two was The Atom Project, um, a sci-fi adventure with Ryan Reynolds, uh, time travel and whatnot, very enjoyable. Um, uh, but yeah, Doctor Strange 2 was amazing. And the multiverse of madness, uh, Doctor Strange 2, that's what it was called. And yeah, it was amazing. Sam Raimi directed it, not a director that you would think would be the Marvel MCU director uh, of any of his <laughs> any of the movies, but uh man, it was so great. It was just the aesthetic, it was Raimi all through and through. Um, I didn't even know he directed it until the credits rolled at the end, but I definitely guessed as we were watching it, I'm like, this fucking feels like a Sam Raimi movie. And then boom, if that was not one of the first things that popped up in the credits. So really, really happy about that movie. Um, so good. If you guys haven't watched it, get Disney plus check that shit out. Yeah. I can't believe Marvel let Sam Raimi direct a movie and I can't believe they'll ever let him do another one, but my God, at least we have this moment to all share together. Don't we? Absolutely. <laughs> so right. weird. Amazing stuff. Yeah. Amazing, weird, amazing, awesome, amazing, yeah. delicious. Go ahead, Gary. Well, and it was great to really give uh, Elizabeth Olsen some room, like to do yeah. like a whole movie. Like she, I mean, she's kind of an unsung hero in the MCU. Like she does a really good job and it was nice to give her a whole movie where that was, it was a lot of fun. It was really mm -hmm. good. Yeah, absolutely. Give her some breathing room to actually act, show her chops. Uh, she was amazing. She was so awesome in it. And uh, also, if you haven't seen WandaVision, watch that first, then go watch Doctor Strange 2. That's definitely an order you want to do. And it's an order I didn't do with my girlfriend. And uh, she was confused <laughs> about things. Uh, we're going to move on to favorite band. Favorite band, guys. I'm going to get mine out of the way because mine's hella quick. Um, we are on a little bit of a time crunch. Uh, favorite band. So I had not one until I talked to Keith a few days ago. And he goes, dude, power through. Figure something out. And my power through was... Blackpink two years in a row because Blackpink does not, I mean, music does not inhabit a lot of my day, but they had a couple of songs that came out this year. I didn't think they were very good. And uh, to the point where a couple of my buddies who also are uh, Blackpink fans, they loved it. I did not. And then it was one of those things where you hear an album over and over again. You're like, oh, fuck, this is like legit good. Like when I first listened to the album, I didn't like it. But the after the second and the third, fourth listen, you're like, oh, fuck, I really like this. This is super solid. And you just kind of get it. You know, it may not be the same flavor what they were doing before. It's a little bit different. But then after a while, you're like, yeah, 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 this is this got some some leg. So, uh, yeah, Blackpink had a couple of releases, Pink, uh, Pink Venom and Shutdown. I actually like shut down better than pink venom. That is my music for this segment. Gary, what is your favorite band uh, or music of the year? 2020? Mine of the year was <clears throat> a band called wise blood. It's spelled a little weird. If people want to try and look it up, it's W E Y E S, but it's pronounced wise for reasons I don't fully understand. This is a contemporary band. Uh, the front woman is Natalie Merring. And to give you a sense of what it sounds like, it sounds a lot like music, and this is part of why I love it, uh, that I kind of grew up with that was playing in the house when I was a kid. It, she sound, Her voice sounds a lot like Karen Carpenter to me. It sounds a lot, a lot, a lot like uh, Linda Ronstadt. 
or Joni Mitchell. Like it's that kind of vibe. But uh, her lyrics and the sound of the music, I think the the genre, it's firmly sort of psychedelic folk. It's very mm. kind of weird and it, it's fun. It's uh it's very dreamy sounding. It's very emotional sounding. It's really good chill music. And the reason I'm picking out as my band of the year, not only do I love it, it's great drawing music. It's great writing music. So it's great. I can throw on one of her albums and it's it's the right sound where it it doesn't distract me, but it adds some kind of nice emotional background for me to do my work. So Keith band or group of the Either year. Either of you like to guess my band of the year? Um, I think it is Wet Leg. I would love it if it was, because that was mine last year. Yes, it was. So it's Undeath, because I'm wearing an Undeath t-shirt as we record this podcast. Oh, shit, right on. It's right there, isn't it? It's Undeath. Yeah, yeah. So so Undeath is a, you know, look, in the same vein of Gary, my favorite band of the year is an old school death metal band. (laughs) Right? Like, I've I've become, I've really come to enjoy this part where Gary... um, recommend something kind of like airy and light and then i just recommend death metal shit so yeah for me undeath <laughs> is in terms of spotify numbers um it was my most listened song of the year i listened and and honestly this is just on spotify but i listened to head splattered in seven ways 37 times just through spotify um there are far more from the Bandcamp download i did and from the vinyl that i have but uh they were my number two band in terms of pure listens but they only have two records. My number one band was actually the Black Dahlia Murder because their lead singer passed away in May and I went on a bunch of Black Dahlia Murder benders. But like Un- Undeath is the band that like won over my heart. I love Undeath. I listen to them for comfort food. I listen to them in the morning. I listen to them in the evening. When I don't listen to them, I miss them like the desert. <laughs> <laughs> right, like they are, they are the wind beneath my wings. Congratulations on death. And they also won Decibel. So Decibel does a, it's a death metal magazine and Decibel named this record by them this year. Um, It's time to rise from the grave, their record of the year. So that made me feel just slightly validated, even though I generally don't care about stuff like that. It was neat. It's neat to see undeaths get some shine and, uh, and make strides to becoming uh, the next great American death metal band. Hell yeah, man. That's That's quite an endorsement. That's Mm -hmm. All right, moving on to favorite beer. So mine was last minute. I was trying to figure it out, and I had this last Friday, uh, so a week ago today, and it is by one of the podcast's highest highest talked about uh, breweries in San Diego, or just in general, Harlan Brewing. So Ooh. it is Papilla Milkshake IPA, and it is, uh, let's see, 7% ABV. The ingredients include coconut, macadamia nut, shortbread cookie, and lactose. So if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you know we love the lactose here. And yeah, so this was a delicious beer that I had at my buddy's house. He has a one of those prescription boxes to Harland. And so he gets all of these like one-off beers that they don't make a ton of. And man, his refrigerator was stocked. We had a bit of a holiday get-together. And I love going to his place because he just has this fridge full of random wacky beers that I've never heard of. And this was one of them. And I really loved it. It was so delicious. I was sipping on it the whole night. I was trying not to go through it. Um, You know, I was driving. So it was just like, okay, you're allowed two beers. That's all you're allowed. And so I was just kind of sipping on it the whole night and I was enjoying it. Definitely a good night. 
Yeah, whenever you post those limited Harlan beers that are like the Hapia milkshake or the other one that was like the Ube milkshake or something mm-hmm. like that, you know, no offense, man, I sort of fucking hate you. <laughs> <laughs> and my buddy gave me one of those Ubes to go because he, like, which is which is why I sort of fucking hate you because yeah, like it's, it's always that enough. buddy, and I know there's never a second one for me. And that just <laughs> makes me want to ram my head against a wall. But anyway, I, I, they they sound amazing. And and what what always happens, Scott, is you'll post that, and then I'll run, I'll like fucking drive forty five miles to this one beer store that just might have it, and they never do. They never do. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, man, that that sounds like an amazing beer. Gary, what's your uh, favorite beer of the year? So mine, it's a, it's a weird little tiny. Uh, producer, you've probably never heard of it. It's Coors Banquet. Uh, Coors <laughs> Banquet. We talked about this this year. So look, I paid my dues as a craft beer snob. Uh, I went through a period of my life, there's at least probably 10 years, maybe even 15, where I was all about the weird little craft breweries. I never quite wore like the uh, the newsboy cap or a vest casually, but I was definitely like that guy who would tell you, talk your ear off about craft beers. Um, I, I did it. I loved it. I got into that in a big way. I've drifted away since. I actually prefer now, I think, wine and mixed drinks, but every once in a while I like a beer. And when I do like a beer, I like a nice weird craft beer and preferably a strong one. But as I talked about uh, with you guys in the chat, the problem with those kind of beers is they tend to be 8%, 9%, 12%, maybe even higher than that. And when you're trying to be productive, when you're trying to draw, when you're trying to write, when you're trying to actually live your life, like that's tough. That You have to kind of schedule a beer like that. And then I discovered this resurgence, the nostalgic uh, Coors Banquet, which is in the kind of pale yellow label it looked and they have the little squat bottles like in the old days it's like four percent maybe five percent it's like water compared to for example the firestone gold rider which i'm drinking right now 11 percent after mowing the lawn while watching andor while even drawing a comic page like you can drink a Coors banquet and you're fine it's totally fine. And I actually, it took this long to appreciate the, 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 the positives of a shit beer. <laughs> like, like, like this, you know what? Let's not, let's not diss this. It's not Budweiser. It's Coors Banquet. It's a classic. It's not bad. And like, I actually really enjoyed Coors. When I brought home a, a, a case of it, my girlfriend was like, we are never going to drink this because she also was a little bit of a beer snob like me. And little by little, like I would go into the, the fridge to get myself a Coors Banquet and we were out because now she's drinking them too. There is something nice about a very light beer that you can enjoy in the middle of the day and it's no big deal. So Coors Banquet is my winner of the year. Yeah, I totally second that. In fact, uh, to conjure up undeath again, I think I even made this reference a while ago because I went on a course banquet little bender there. And now you talking makes me realize it's just a good beer to have around to counter all these other ones. And, uh, you know, undeath when they were leading into a song on Sirius XM's uh, death metal station, the guy referred to the lead singer referred to their song, their music as death metal ass death metal. Right. And like course banquet is just, it's a beer ass beer. 
You know, like, like you want a beer, you have a beer. That's it. You sit down, you have it. And to your point, you don't have to pay a tax afterwards. You don't have to have your eating evening get fucked up. So yeah, man, I, I, uh, man, that's a great call. Great call. Um, so yeah, for me, um, I had a really hard time with this. This was probably the hardest category I had. And then, um, and then I don't know, I think I was looking through old photos from the year and I came upon a beer that number one, um, Scott has seen me drink. Number two, uh, goes back to um, something that happened this year. And number three was a good enough beer to where I actually tweaked my schedule. And by my schedule, I mean Scott and I's schedule around having this beer. And this is one by Optimism Brewing in Seattle, Washington, because Scott and I ended up going to Optimism Brewing every single night that we went to Emerald City Comic Con. And the first night we went, I, you know, I happened to try it in a taster and I drank it. It's a, it's a London standard ale. So it's nice and like, it's just a hearty, you know, malty beer. It's like 6%. It's, it's solid. It's got like a lot of, you know, beef to it and it's very flavorful and I liked it so much that I got it the next night. And then one thing led to another. And like every single night that we were in Seattle, we went back to optimism so we could have one. So it's like, I've drank a lot of beers, but like only one, no pun intended, made me keep on coming back and being like, fuck it, let's just go there again. And it was that beer. I had it every single night. All right. Uh, video games, favorite video games of 2022. This is going to be just a Gary section because me and Keith don't play video games. Well, look, this won't be a shock to anybody who plays PC or console games. Elden Ring was phenomenal. Everybody's talking about Elden Ring. Elden Ring, maybe even like you're sick of hearing about Elden Ring. I get it. But you know what? It's a fucking incredible video game. Uh, it's it's at this point, if you've been into a hobby for 30 or 40 years, like I, any of us would have been at this point, I've been in gaming for maybe 40 years at this point. Usually at this stage of the game, you're kind of revisiting the stuff that you've loved forever. If you're into music, you're re you're revisiting some band you've been listening to for 20 years. If you're into whatever, you know, you're you're kind of revisiting. And that's usually what it is with me. I like older games. I like games I was playing in high school. Once in a while, though, an amazing game comes along and reminds you why you love video games. That's Elden Ring. Elden Ring deserves all the hype. It's a fantastic game. If you're able to play it, you should play it. Heck yeah. All right, we're going to go lightning round on these last four categories here. We're going a little bit long. All right, favorite podcast. I'll go first, iFanboy. So if you're if we're going comic related, iFanboy is fantastic. This this podcast I've been listening to for years. It's how I stay up on what are good books to try out. They're the ones that actually talked talked me into buying 8 billion genies. They're like you know, the, when they talked about it, I was like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. I picked it up. I like to pick up image number one comics in general anyway, but they definitely sold me on it. And, um, you know, just based off of I flipped through it real quick. I was just like, I'm not sure if I'm going to like this or not. But based off of their recommendation, I grabbed it and 
damn it, they were right. Um, so, um, and if we're going non-related comics, Tuesdays with Stories. It's by Mark Normand and Joe List. It's a couple of comedians. They're actually the reason why our show is formatted the way that it is. Um, I love the casualness of that podcast. It's two guys talking about what they did that week regarding comedy. You know, they would talk about the shows they went to and whatever they did that week. And I really loved that. And just to kind of translate that into a comic related podcast was something I was just like, yeah, that seems cool. And uh, if you listen to our very first episode compared to our second episode, it's a very different layout. And uh, um, I really love that podcast. It, they say a lot of crazy shit in there. So if you're okay with that, give those podcasts a listen. I fanboy and Tuesdays with stories. Uh, uh, Keith, what is your, you got a podcast, sir? Yeah, I'm assuming that by favorite podcast, you mean favorite podcast, non five star motherfucking podcast experience division. Of course. <laughs> That's clearly of course. Of course. That's clearly this one. Um, yeah. So for me, it's the shit no one tells you about writing. Um, that has been that is invaluable to writers. It is invaluable to writers because it's always got two parts. Part one, they get real agents to critique people's um, query letters. And then part two, they have a, a guest that'll talk about something about like making it in the industry, how they got their start, et cetera. So aspiring authors and even existing authors alike, the shit no one tells you about writing is fantastic. Nice. Gary, podcast favorite, 2000. Uh, this is a well-known one. A present company excluded, of course. Uh, oh. This one is well-known. It's uh, WTF with Mark Maron. Oh, I, yeah. it's, I get excited every time I see a new one, download it. It's one of the few podcasts where I will, when I'm done listening to it, not always delete it because I might want to re-listen to it because I was so interested in the conversation or so interested in the guest. And that's a little unusual. So 100% that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one's definitely well known. It's fantastic podcast. All right, we're going to go favorite YouTube show. Uh, mine is Cartoonist Kayfabe. I love that show. It is obviously present company excluded. Gary, I love your YouTube uh, channel. But uh, next to Gary's, the YouTube channel that I watch the most is Cartoonist Kayfabe. Every day when they come with a new episode, some uh, comic book that they're flipping through, it's usually uh, revolving around artists that they like specifically. And um, it's nice to check out new artists that I didn't really know about that have been around forever. And then sometimes every once in a while, they'll check out artists that I loved growing up and they have their opinions on it. We don't always agree. Sometimes we do. And uh, it's a fantastic show. So it's a couple of comic book creators that know what they're talking about as far as art. Um, but they, again, art is subjective. They have their particular flavors and their tastes on what they enjoy. So sometimes it's different than what you and I would enjoy. But I really do like hearing their opinion and their views. And they're very knowledgeable. They can go, man, this guy's art is very influenced by so-and-so. And it's a guy from like the freaking 80s or 70s or 60s or something. And it's just like, geez, man, these these guys are around our age. And they have this well of knowledge um that's very impressive so cartoonist kayfabe check it out if you haven't seen it yet uh uh keith you're up i have no answer gary you are up <laughs> <laughs> well okay as a gamer uh i'm a big fan of game sack it's hosted by this guy joe redifer um it's a weekly show sometimes bi-weekly 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 is ambiguous sometimes twice a month 
Okay. Uh, he'll feature different things. He'll feature games that haven't been uh, released in the U.S. that like never made it over from Japan, or he'll feature all the best games on a certain console or something. He's kind of a goofy guy. He's a funny guy. I, I for some reason, it just makes me happy every time I see a new episode is up. I usually sit there because I'm a gaming geek with my post-it notes, writing down games that I need to play. You know, so it's it's if you're into retro gaming, especially, I would say check out GameSack. Oh yeah. All right. Uh, favorite comic book purchase of 2022. Mine is Golden Age Daredevil number six. Um, I got a slabbed version. It's a low end 1.8, but number six of a Golden Age Daredevil, a public domain character. Um, it was a nice little chunk of change, but that's going to be that purchase for the year. I feel good about it. No regrets. Um, really enjoy having that on the spinner rack back there. And uh, yeah, I'm dwindling that golden age daredevil one through 50 numbers down and down and down as time goes on and yes i did fuck up and i did buy golden age daredevil 20 again um a couple of days ago so that's the second one in the last couple of months that i repeat bought it that i bought not bought it um that i already have it it's been done you bought it i bought it wow (laughs) uh keith you have your favorite comic related purchase of the year black hole collected hardcover by charles burns Ooh. a modern horror Very classic nice. a horror classic an amazing black and white exercise in yeah. horror i highly recommend it to everybody i read it way back in the day and i can't read uh, can't wait to dig into it again oh yeah gary i have the artist edition of black hole phenomenal phenomenal inker one of the all-time greats um so i have you can see it if you're you guys can see it. The listeners can't. I picked up the 35th anniversary edition of Akira. I've got it sitting back here on a shelf. Phenomenal value. I paid like 112 bucks or something like that for five books plus a six bonus thing. It's insane with a special collector's box. And Akira, look, there are comics you read. Maybe this is just uh, ego or not, whatever. But sometimes you read comics and you're like, I could probably do that if I really wanted to do that. Akira is one of those books you just kind of get down and you bow and you say, I'm not, this is a whole, this isn't even a different league. It isn't even a different ballpark. It's, it's a different game on a different planet. It's, it's astonishing. So I'm very proud to own the 35th anniversary edition of Akira. Oh yeah. At that price price point, you're paying $20 per volume. That's the same amount that you would pay for a uh, trade paperback, but you are getting a hardcover. So that's amazing. Plus you get that extra book that you cannot beat that at that price point. It's fantastic. All right. So this is a category that I um, entered this year is dark horse of the year. So my dark horse is She-Hulk. She-Hulk, the TV show, the first (laughs) episode was awful. Uh, Me and Keith watched it. It was not good. We were both like, yeah, I don't know if we're going to be watching more of this. Um, But as the episodes went on, I was like, oh, fuck, I actually legitimately like this show. This show's solid. By the end of it, I was like, every week, me and my girlfriend were looking forward to watching She-Hulk. Interesting fact that I found out. Episode one was not supposed to be episode. Episode one was supposed to be in the middle of the series. But the powers that be were like, no, we need to give the Hulk in the episode one. And this kind of shows how she got her powers. We can't have three or four episodes before we show how she gets powers. So they dubbed it to be the first episode, put it out of order. I think it was a mistake because honestly, it was the weakest episode of the whole series. Um, so I really love that. I really enjoyed it. If you guys gave episode one a, a watch, didn't enjoy it, go back, revisit. 
the next episode, they get better and better and better. I really enjoyed them. That's me. That's me, actually. And you're, you've uh, talked me into giving it a second chance. I watched the first episode. I decided this isn't for me, but I'll, I'll give it another shot. All right. And then how about your TV show of the year? Or your, your Dark Horse? I'm sorry, your Dark Horse of the year. Uh, my Dark Horse of the year. I had a lot of trouble with this category, but I'm going to say I, I generally enjoy tri- true crime stuff. But I'm picky about it because of my day job. I know if you know something about it, like any of us, if you know something about a thing, like if if there was a pro wrestling show, you'd probably be a little picky about it or whatever, you know. So I'm a little picky about that stuff. I did not expect to enjoy Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story on Netflix, but I gave it a try because some some people were talking about it. And I really actually enjoyed that series. Uh, That would be mine, where I went in expecting it to be irritating and bad. And it was actually pretty good, and I finished the whole thing. So oh, yeah, Keith, Dark Horse of the Year. My Dark Horse of the Year was Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. I did oh, not good. expect. I did not expect to come into twenty twenty two talking about an amazing multiverse movie that was not Doctor Strange: Multiverse of Madness. So yeah, man, blew me away. I had no idea it even existed, and uh, my movie of the year. Hell yeah, man. Well, what an episode, guys. Uh, We're closing up. We're running out of time on this Zoom here. So we're going to bounce out as fast as possible. You can find me at Scott Loss uh, on Twitter and Instagram, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Loss. You can find my comics at AccidentalAliens.com, Second Shift, Minimum Wage Superheroes, Wanderers, Melisande, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs uh, versus Humans, all at AccidentalAliens.com. Gary? Uh, the easiest place to find me is on Instagram, Dinosaurs versus Marsbots, Dinosaurs vs. Marsbots. And that has links to every other place I am. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for me, Instagram, Keith underscore Invader. Follow me there. For websites, KeithRFoster.com. You got my properties and you got a web store. What more could you ask for? Hell yeah. And uh, make sure you give us five stars on the Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, anything else. And uh, hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, if you enjoyed these episodes, have any questions about our picks, want to tell us what your picks were, those would be interesting. Makingcomicspodcast.com. Wait, makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. I've been drinking beer and lots of it. <laughs> yeah. You and right, me guys. both. This was so much fun. Thank you guys, Gary. Once again, thank you for being on this episode and the episode before, before our time runs out. Thank you so much. Just wanted to say so. Thank you so much. And boy, I am drunk, but it was worth it. And uh, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And I appreciate both you guys. Oh, yeah. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Yay. Yay. Yay.